and welcome to today's episode of Hear the Future, the podcast dedicated to gaining inside access to today's brightest minds. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Scott Vincent. Scott, it's great to have you here. Great to be with you guys. Awesome, Scott. So, I mean, so for, for those who don't know, in, in 2019, Scott was recognized as one of the UK's top 50 entrepreneurs by The Telegraph. Parker Fitzgerald, a consulting company started by Scott in 2009, was subsequently acquired by Accenture in August 2019. After taking some time out to reconnect with his family, Scott is now in the process of launching his latest venture, Digital Futures. So Scott, you've achieved quite a lot in your time, which we'll certainly be talking a lot more about. Um, But today we really wanted to focus on your most recent project, Digital Futures. But before we get into that, perhaps you could start by telling us a bit about your background, what life was like growing up in Australia. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, that's right. So uh, although I've been in the UK for uh, the last 22 years, I'm actually a native Aussie. Um, so I was born in Canberra and uh, and was educated in Canberra. Um, yeah, I had a gr- great experience growing up, lots of outdoor sport, as you would imagine, um, big focus on rugby and uh, and athletics, and um, and uh, you know b- played competitive sport throughout my uh, out my uh, throughout my schooling history, which which I think helped me develop my uh, the competitive streak that uh, that has gone on to support me uh, in my working life. So uh, yeah, it was um, it was uh, it was great growing up in Oz. Um, <laughs> then I uh, then I. Uh, when, it, when it came to going to university, uh, I started university, actually started out uh, studying hotel management. Um, but, you know, as a student and as somebody who suffers with uh, slight dyslexia and uh, a mild case of ADD, found, uh, found the education process quite taxing. Uh, so, so, you know, my, my interests uh, very much uh, were focused on, on sports, on girls, uh, and uh, but most importantly, making money. I think you know it was uh, I was going to a very expensive university at the time, and I and I was struggling a lot working uh, working two jobs uh, to try and make ends meet. Uh, and uh, you know, I think I naturally gravitated towards uh, towards business, and and you know that's uh, that's really where my my uh, interest uh, in in you know. Understanding how business is done, how to build businesses, uh, you know, that's the thing that uh, I started to develop a passion about. And then, uh, and then I came to the UK in, in September of 1998. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, again, I turned, up on, uh, I turned up at Heathrow with uh, very little money. In fact, only £367 it turned out to be because I had to lend... A friend who uh, who got themselves into quite a bit of trouble. Uh, the majority of the savings uh, wow. <laughs> that I had saved up before I came to the UK. So it, uh, yeah, it, I, I remember walking through the uh, the arrivals uh, lounge at, at Heathrow Airport, um, uh, and uh, yeah, it's fair to say that I was uh, pretty anxious about uh, pretty anxious about the future. Um, but I, I certainly, you know, I quickly fell in love with London. Uh, in terms of you know the energy of London, uh, everything it had to offer, and been here been here ever since really. So my um, I mean I'll, I'll I'll pause there guys to let you ask some questions if you'd like. 
Um, I, I, yeah, and that really, I guess I'd love to know more about sort of the you dropping out of university must have been a relatively big yeah. decision. Did you have the backing of, you know, your, your friends and family? Um, how was it received? Um, yes, I think so. I think the, you know, it, it, what you're right. It was, it was a big decision, but I, you know, I think, uh, I think my family have always been quite supportive of me. Um, and you know, I think, I think my, my friends, uh, you know, knew that I, my, my, yeah, I, I think, I think my friends were well aware of, uh, you know, my passions. And, and so, so when it, when it came to actually dropping out of university, they, you know, they, they were, they were pretty supportive. I mean, ironically, the majority, you know, there several of the people, uh, that I, that I started university with also, also dropped out and, um, and they've gone on to do great things in terms of becoming, uh, entrepreneurs in their own right. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was, it was, uh, you know, the course I was doing or, or, or the university, but, um, uh, you know, what's quite remarkable is the fact that there were so many people that did actually drop out to go on and do really, really, really mm. impressive stuff. Yeah. And then so you said you got to London September 1998. Um, how yeah. did you manage to break into a career in investment banking? Well, tr truth be told, I actually started uh, started out life in working for a publishing company. Uh, so uh, I was uh, hired by a publishing company uh, in finance. And uh, uh, that was based uh, in, in a little office on Dean Street in Soho. Um, and, uh, from there I, uh, went into telecommunications and then into investment banking, uh, with, with Barclays actually, which was my, uh, my first role in financial services. So I spent, uh, you know, I think that was, that was quite difficult. I mean, I, I, you know, I knew that, uh, well, I thought, uh, banking was, uh, you know, where you make the most money at that age. Um, so, you know, I was very focused on, uh, you know, a strategy to get to, to get into to banking. Um, but actually, the reality was, you know, in the interview that I had, I just I just ultimately got on really well with the hiring manager. And, uh, and, you know, he decided to give me an opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, the rest is history, really, in terms of in terms of uh, my career in banking. I'd love to know more about uh, your, your your time in investment banking. So I'm sure you spent a few years there, mm. and then what the the trigger was for actually setting up your your own, I guess, first business. Yeah. Um, part of yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, that's right. So I spent I spent the uh, the subsequent five years in uh, in Barclays, um, where I worked in a in a variety of uh, roles, but uh, you know progressed quite quickly. Um, uh, uh, but my, my main focus was was uh, within risk management, and and then I then moved in uh, moved across to actually RBS, and I have to say, I mean, I know a lot a lot you know, a lot of people are quite negative on on financial services and banking, but I have to say it was it was a great experience, you know, it was back in it was at the it was at the heyday, uh, or I would say that period was really the heyday of financial services, um, and. Uh, you know, it, it was it was quite easy to get things done. Yeah. Uh, at that, uh, you know, in, in the time that I was there, and you know, I I, I flew. Uh, you know, I, I spent uh, a lot of my time traveling around the world, meeting great people, working with very smart, uh, you know, individuals uh, at all levels of the organization. Um, so you know, I absolutely loved it. That's cool. I mean, uh, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess you're about to get to it. What kind of led you to uh, to move on? Well, I think the uh, so so basically, I'd I'd spent the majority of my time in in risk management, and then I. Uh, you know, saw the opportunity that the financial crisis was going to create. Um, and I uh, took the decision to uh, step outside or step out of investment banking and establish, uh, establish the firm Parker Fitzgerald. And, and our focus was, was, you know, well, continued to be on risk management. Uh, but uh, as part of that, also looking at the, uh, if you like, the, t- the, the tidal wave of financial regulation um, that uh, that uh, was subsequently implemented. Um, so you know, a bit of a risk, but I was very clear about the value proposition. Um, you know what we needed to do in order to uh, compete. You know how we would actually add value to clients, um, and uh, and then you know I went about the next ten years building that. So so basically, sort of the the opportunity was that there was now this increased regulation in financial. In- yeah, 100%. Uh, increased regulation and, you know, fundamental need to transform the risk management Got it. Uh, uh, divisions of, of pretty much every financial institution. And so then how did you sort of, uh, you know, make yourself, you know, the, the go-to uh, business for, for, for big banks um, to, uh, to, to deal with? So the, the the value proposition was 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 really uh, very straightforward, and, and that was based on a, a practitioner-led model. Okay. Uh, so our hiring strategy was from industry. Uh, it was hiring uh, experts, subject matter experts, um, with the with with two other sort of two other key characteristics. One was. You know uh, the the ability of these individuals to not only be subject matter experts, but but also uh, to be able to get things done in complex organisations. Uh, so that was key, and uh, I guess part of part of um, our strategy was also to make sure that we had developed strong working relationships with governments and regulators themselves and, and key industry bodies. So you know that we had a we had a great understanding or a good understanding, I should say, of the direction of policy making, and that allowed us, you know, to provide that insight back to our clients. Um, so I think they were the they were the sort of key characteristics of the business, and 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 that really underpinned our growth. Got it. Yeah, because you know, if you fast forward ten years, Parker Fitzgerald was now competing against you know big four consulting firms, picking up numerous awards for consultancy of the year. Yeah, you know, like, could you maybe talk about what you think was the moment within two thousand nine to two thousand and nineteen when you really had the kind of massive growth at Parker Fitzgerald and you knew that you kind of had a product market fit almost? Yeah, I, th- I, I, I think basically the the moment um, the moment was really uh, there were there were two critical things that happened at Parker Fitzgerald that really changed our trajectory. The first thing was that we um, we were approved by the Bank of England to work strategically um, with clients on regulatory investigations. Uh, so essentially, we were authorised by the or, or authorised by the regulator, and that and that you know the moment that came through, I mean you know that that really changed uh, the profile of the firm in terms of its credibility, its standing in the market, etc. Uh, so that was incredibly helpful. And then I think there was a natural uh, process that, you know, once 
as you know, as you, as you start a business, you you know, you start to to build a business. Um, you know, I think there there were moments where uh, we there there were lots of moments where essentially we needed to um, kind of look introspectively at what it is that we did best and and then double down on that and just do more of that. So it was a, it was a point where we just cut out all the noise and focused on uh, the things that we did best and and you know that that helped us in terms of our ability to recruit, our ability to sell work. And our ability to uh, outcompete the competitors. So focus, focus really. Got it. And what was so? Was the an acquisition always a part of uh, your thinking when you started this business? And you know, what was it like when it did finally happen? Yeah. So the the folk, the we actually um, in in two thousand and ten. Uh, well, actually, no, 2011. We had a we had a strategy day, and we and we uh, we we put together a, a strategy. And the title of that was Vision 2020, uh, and that was all about how we build the business, how we create value, um, and then how ultimately we sell the business. So we managed to beat that uh, in terms of yep. uh, the timing. Uh, as as you mentioned, we uh, we sold that in August uh, 2019. Um, we actually had two offers um, from one of the largest, uh, one of the large strategy houses, uh, and and Accenture. Yep. Uh, but I felt that, you know, the combination of what we did in terms of our uh, strategic advice and, and assurance that we provide clients with, uh, you know, Accenture's world class technology capabilities was a really compelling offering for our clients, and so that was that was really the deciding factor. Sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I would say it was it was probably the most intense period of my life. Um, you know, from the you know from the moment we uh, engaged with uh, the suitors, uh, through the due diligence process, through all the negotiations, yeah. uh, through dealing with the people issues, uh, and then finally making it happen. Um, and we made it happen uh, at I think about five thirty one a.m. in Bacon Kenzie's office, and. You know, when when I put pen to paper, it was uh, it was a seminal moment, and uh, and then after that, uh, you know, me and the deal team uh, sort of walked through the city as the sun was rising, walked up to uh, our office in Heron Tower. I sort of said goodbye to us and uh, jumped on a jet and went to Ibiza. <laughs> wow, <laughs> sounds like an absolutely incredible experience. So, I mean, I guess, yeah. yeah. Now that, you know, I'm sure you've kind of had your time to kind of wind down, chill out and, yeah. you know, absolutely deservingly. Why do you feel so motivated to start uh, your new venture, Digital Futures, when you know that you could be, in theory, kind of on a beach somewhere in Ibiza? <laughs> uh, it's probably down to my, uh, my, my ADD. I think, I think the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not very good at sitting still. So um, right. uh, I think on a, on a serious note, though, I think, you know, I... I, um, I I guess sort of the combination of my background, my experiences has, has really led me to, you know, to digital futures. Um, it's, it's, you know, something that I'm extremely passionate about and, and also given what's gone on uh, over the course of the last year with COVID, uh, you know, the timing, timing for, for what we're planning to bring to market is, uh, is now. So, you know, we, we you know, we're, there's a there's a fairly big team behind it already uh, in terms of supporting the planning uh, and the, and the design and build of the of, of the actual uh, business and the, and the subsequent propositions. 
Um, but uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's it's the you know the timing for this proposition has uh, is is just key. It's never been better. So I've decided to to go for it again. So c- could you actually tell us, you know, basically what is his digital futures and what the, what is the mission? The mission, uh, well, it's uh, it's it's got quite quite a big mission. Yep. Um, uh, so the the mission. Uh, is essentially to uh, drive positive social change through technology and and support the transition based uh, to a skills based economy. Yeah. Now that's a they're, they're two grand statements, um, and I'll and I'll tell you how we intend to do that. But sort of before I go into that, the, the rationale for the business was 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 very much um, a result of looking at what's been going on in the market, looking at the pace of, of technology. Uh, you know, just how quickly that is accelerating, you know, how it's changing uh, businesses, how it's changing society, how it's changing the way we engage with each other. Um, but also, you know, that pace of that pace of change um, is, is potentially going to leave a lot of people behind. Yep. And when you look at, uh, if you like, the way in which industry is now sort of converging around a very similar technology strategy, cloud first, AI driven, yep. Uh, you know, the, the, the skills required to make that happen, um, you know, is a real issue in terms of there's not enough of them. And, uh, and, and the risk is that, that you know, people, uh, you know, don't have the right skills to support the next generation of industry uh, and, and subsequently, uh, you know, become redundant. Um, and, and that in itself puts huge amount of pressure on society, onto governments, onto health, onto welfare systems, etc. So, you know, Digital Futures wants to do something about that. Got it. Mm-hmm. And Digital Futures is, I'm assuming, kind of aimed towards the graduate community? Yeah, there are, there are three core parts to Digital Futures. So you have our technology training academies that we're building uh, in the UK. Uh, so starting with London, then to Manchester, in Bristol, yeah. uh, and then potentially into Scotland. But the the uh, but these locations are the, the priority um, before we uh, sort of go into Ireland and, and potentially the US. So the, so the, the, they're the sort of they're the three countries that we're, we're focusing on. What the what the academy will do is it will essentially uh, provide immersive training over a twelve week period in what we consider to be the nine future skills okay. to support uh, the digital economy. Um, and at the end of that immersive training period, we will then deploy those individuals uh, into client organisations uh, uh, over a period of time, which is what we're calling our industry experience program. Um, but during that process, they will be employees of Digital Futures, and then they will have the option to either continue their career with the clients or come back to us as consultants. So that's the that's the first that's the first pillar. Um, uh, the second pillar is is we're building a. a a B2B marketplace where we will be able to uh, you know, create greater opportunity for small to medium-sized enterprises to access project work, again, focused on uh, digital transformation. Uh, so clients will be able to raise uh, project requirements and, uh, and uh, organizations globally can bid on those uh, and deliver that remotely. And then the third part of Digital Futures is all about democratizing access to knowledge um, and so how we intend to do that is by creating an in-demand, on-demand model where clients can uh, access leading experts across a number of technology disciplines, again, globally, 
uh, for uh, for support uh, in the moment, and and part of uh, part of that is also creating uh, a curated content program of thought leadership, which. Uh, you know, we, we would do similar things to what we're doing here, where, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be interviewing, uh, you know, senior industry leaders, yep. uh, politicians, technologists, um, and we'll be making that video uh, content available to, uh, you know, to certain elements of society, both in terms of uh, helping them build their knowledge, but also hoping to entice them into a career in tech. Got it. So for mm-hmm. me, that, that first piece is quite interesting. Um how do you so you mentioned so these these industry partners as well that you that you have these relationships with. so if 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 i'm a, a student who wants to come on a digital futures course you know walk yeah. me through what it is that it, i assume so that you mentioned different topics so ai yeah. cloud um you know what is it that sort of i have to do and in, in order to apply and and what is the outcome yeah so so essentially uh the um there'll be uh, there'll be an application process you know we want to go as wide as possible with that uh, there's no educational bias in the in the application process um there's a fairly rigorous assessment um which will look at uh, cognitive ability we'll look at behavior we'll look at other aspects of the individual i mean we we really want to hire on aptitude and attitude uh, and ambition uh in terms of the underlying principles yep. of our hiring strategy but ultimately, uh, you know, you'll go through that assessment process, and at the end of that, uh, if you're successful, you'll be invited to join uh, the programs. And again, the programs, uh, depending on which one, I think uh, the first one, the first uh, program uh, will be full stack engineering, which we're launching in, uh, which we're launching in March, followed by data science and then uh, cloud technology. Nice. Um, so you will, yes. Yeah, so you'll spend time uh, on that program, learning both directly, so in class as well as uh, virtually. Um, uh, uh, you, you will spend time uh, working on group activities. Uh, you'll have one-to-one coaching uh, on professional skills, on soft skills, getting your workplace ready. Um, and you will also uh, participate in our uh, carefully designed wellness program as well uh, because we, uh, we're very passionate about balancing uh, sort of study work as well as wellness um, and then what we're also doing is we're incorporating you know, quite a lot of team uh, team building activity, which will involve a trip when we're allowed to travel again, uh, you know, over the course of a couple of days to, you know, to uh, to uh, uh, improve people's uh, team building skills as well as give them an experience yep. and hopefully increase their that, that bonding. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to know a bit more about the actual teaching aspect. So who yeah. will be delivering this training for, for example, full stack engineering and where do you kind of plan on sourcing these people from? Yeah, great question. So, so, you know, the, the, um, we are, um, we're very clear about the need for us to differentiate, uh, from the other training providers, uh, and how we're going to do that is by going much deeper in the subject matter. Um, and, and we think the success of our program will be, you know, directly linked to the quality of training and the, and the lecturers in particular, the teaching assistants. So, you know, we've, we have been recruiting um, for quite some time now, you know, looking to identify world-class, I would say, uh, trainers that can bring the right level of industry insights um, as well as the technical training, as well as the empathy required, uh, you know, to deliver training to make that happen. And, you know, our training, you know, our training program is very much based on, you know, solving real world problems. There, of course, there is a, you know, there's a, there's a theoretical aspect to it, but, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, 
it's going to be useless unless it's uh, sort of cased in, in solving real world problems. So as you go through the 12 weeks, we will be looking to assess your competency levels uh, over that period. And there'll be certain competency gates uh, that you will need to uh, move through before you're uh, deployed into our client's organization. But, but ultimately, we want you to be able to uh, not only have a great experience, but, but also, uh, as I said, apply the learning to, to solving real-world problems. So when you arrive at our clients, you hit the ground running. Got it. Interesting. Um, so also, the, the, so the B2B marketplace. So, to, yeah. so did you say so that you know, sp- students who have gone through the academy would then be able to bid on projects? Is, is that the idea or...? Not students, no. Um, but it's the, these are small to medium-sized enterprises. So we're, what we've been doing over the last few months is we've been identifying uh, organizations that specialize in one of the nine disciplines that we'd set out. So whether it's AI, whether it's cloud. Yep. And we've been onboarding those suppliers into our ecosystem. So, as, as cl- so clients will be able to go on and let's say, for example, they want to... They want somebody to help with a, a, a migration program to Azure. They would they would register that project requirement. Uh, it, it would then be matched to relevant suppliers. The suppliers would then bid for that project, uh, and then and ultimately the, the client would uh, you know select, see the bids and then select it. And it would all be driven through our platform. Got it. Got it. Okay. And kind of from from the perspective of a student. So if I join Digital Futures, I get my training twelve weeks. And then I get deployed into a company, you know, that's the goal. Yeah. Could you talk a bit more about the kind of the angle of the salary? So I'm guessing mm. some type of income share agreement is implemented. Correct me if I'm wrong, but how, yeah, no, how, how does this go about that? Yeah. So, so, so essentially the, uh, we will, we will pay for all the training um, over the 12 weeks, as well as the training, um, you know, o- over the two years, which would be periodic. Um, so essentially, the the individuals that join the academy will be on a, a, a training contract for that twelve week period. Um, at, but once they go into uh, our clients and our client projects, they'll be on a, a two year employment contract. And their salary, the way we've, we've the way we've designed it is we've we've uh, we've essentially uh, have three steps over the two years uh, in terms of three salary steps. Um, again, which uh, you know individuals will receive um, as uh, you know, as they progress uh, on the client projects and as they uh, sort of demonstrate increased capability, uh, you know, with some light assessment around every you know, at, at every six months to ensure that they're progressing at the right rates. Um, but there's a series of other value adds that will you know will support that from you know various benefits to uh, you know to uh, uh, you know, extras um, that will be will be part of that program. I think you know what we're very, very, very uh, focused on is that you know, I, I guess we, we you know we, we have a shared success model where yeah. ultimately uh, you know it's really important that not only the individual has a great training experience, but most importantly, you know, when they go into the client organisation, it's you know it's the right project, it's the right team. It gives them the opportunity to continue to learn, um, uh, but but ultimately, you know, they will be brand ambassadors for, for digital futures. So, you know, that we we're going to provide uh, you know fantastic pastoral care to make sure that uh, you know they feel supported throughout that uh, two years. 
So mm-hmm. what's the um, the ideal student look like, right? So is it someone who who maybe has some experience programming beforehand? Maybe they have a computer science degree, but they haven't learned how to apply the skills they've gained over that degree properly. Um, yeah. Or is it someone who's maybe you know, read philosophy uh, and now they want to break into tech? What is what does the ideal student look like? Well, we, we, we don't really have an ideal student um, profile because, uh, as I said, you know, there, we, we want to operate um, free of any educational bias. Uh, that's the first thing. So uh, our assessment process will really, um, you know, drive out uh, and identify the, the individuals that, uh, that we think will do well, uh, not only in the learning pathway, uh, sorry, in the, in the learning program, but also, uh, you know, working for the the type of clients that, that Digital Futures has as and is in the process of building. Of course, you know, there, of course, you know, if you're a STEM graduate, um, yeah, I, I would I would say that uh, um, you know our our the, the type of work that we do in the industry is very well uh, very well suited to STEM graduates. But it's not just a STEM graduate play. You know, we want to go much wider than that. We want to look at uh, non-neurotypical. We want to look at, uh, you know, mothers returning to work as well as students and, and, uh, and other cohorts um, or, or, or other types of, of the workforce that we will either train directly or reskill at a future, uh, at a future point. Mm-hmm. And I'd sort of be curious to know, you know, Digital Futures obviously started this year. You must have been building it up in the past year. Yep. What was it like building a team during COVID and hiring a team completely remotely? Sorry, Sam, could you repeat that question? Yeah, sure. So I'm just curious to know, what was it like building a team during COVID and forming a team uh, r- remotely? Well, uh, believe it or not, it was the first time I had ever used Teams. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you have to, th- I, I stepped down as CEO in, in March, um, right before the crisis. Um, so, you know, there, we, we, I never had a need to use it. Of course, I'd been on video conferences before. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, it was, uh, it's, it's been quite a challenge because, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sort of programmed to work in, in a particular way. I'm a high twitch animal, uh, you know, that likes to walk around the office and talk to people and, and, and do, all that, uh, do all that sort of stuff. And I haven't had the chance to do that. Um, that said, uh, the team that I have assembled, um, you know, many of them I've worked with previously. Um, you know, they are uh, they're a fantastic group of, of very committed professionals that, that you know, their, their values align very closely with mine and subsequently digital futures. Um, so, you know, it's taken its time uh, to sort of bed in, but we've now got ourselves into a working rhythm where uh, I, think, I think we're pretty productive. Cool. Um, could you also maybe tell us a bit more about sort of the official launch date and when you really start to market this to, uh, yeah. to customers? Ab- ab- absolutely. So uh, we, we have a soft launch on the on the 2nd of, of December. And essentially what that means is uh, we'll be we'll have uh, a number of brand assets live. So we'll have our microsites uh, again, AI driven, um, at, where people can register their interest in digital futures, whether you're a student, whether you're a client, whether you're, uh, you know, you're, you're an expert. Um, so we have that, uh, we, we, uh, we are also launching our campaign with debut and bright network, um, which, uh, so they will be supporting us, uh, on the graduate acquisition side. So, uh, so that will be, that will be up and running. 
uh, at that point. Um, and uh, we will we will also have, uh, you know, a, a social campaign across all the major platforms uh, to really help raise the brand profile of digital futures and, and drive people through to the registration process. Got it. Okay. And I, I guess um, kind of just to close on digital futures, what do you see the vision being in 10 years time? Where would you like digital futures to be? Um, global. Uh, you know, I think that ultimately what we want to do with digital futures is, you know, provide our clients with a, a suite of services, uh, innovative services, whether that's training, whether that's, uh, you know, helping them uh, with uh, a supplier ecosystem uh, or, uh, or, or other services. So, you know, ultimately our, 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 get, our, our goal here, you know, I've said our, what our social purpose is, but from a client perspective, you know, what, what we really want to do is help them accelerate uh, their digital transformation um, yeah, and and so uh, you know, ultimately, I, I, I hope that in ten years' time, we are a, pref- are a preferred partner um, to many global organisations, um, and in doing so, have been able to create wonderful opportunity for those that have been through our academy, um, you know, suppliers, uh, and uh, and and others that will be associated with digital futures. So, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the vision. It's very ambitious. Um, but as I said, I think the timing's right. And uh, there's, a, there's an element of disruptive nature to it, uh, to what we're looking to bring to the market as well. So that's, uh, that, that's, uh, that's also very exciting. Well, you've, uh, you've done it before with Park Fitzgerald. So I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, Digital Futures takes off again. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So Scott, I'm also also conscious of of your time. Um, so we're just sort of going to round it up now to our signature question that we ask all of our guests on the show. Yeah. Um, which is, but I, I guess I I already have a an idea of what the answer may be, but you know, let's see. If you could change anything, uh, any one thing in the world uh, over the next ten years, what would it be and why? Oh, uh, that's easy for me, uh, and and that 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 is uh, all all about um, you know the need for a much more compassionate society. Nice. More okay. tolerance, um, more compassion, more love, 100%. We love that answer. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's a wonderful note to end on. Okay, Scott, well, yeah, it's been uh, awesome chatting with you. And yeah, thank you so much for your time and wishing you the best of luck with Digital Futures. Thanks, guys. It's been great chatting to you. Thanks a lot, Scott. Take care.